Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I am not Josh, I am Jesse, and Josh is not joining us this evening, unfortunately. However, to make up for the lack of Josh, I have Viema and Mitch. Say hello, Viema. Hello, everyone. Say hello, Mitch. I refuse. Okay. (laughs) Classic libertarian. All right. And with that, this is your introduction to the podcast. Yes, it is very sad today on this episode. We don't have Josh. The dynamic duo has been cut in half. But I promise you fine folks that my guests, my guests, we usually only have one guest, but our guests, plural, will more than make up for the lack of Josh. And you won't even remember that he's not here after a while. Would you guys just be able to give a quick intro? I know we've had you on the podcast before, Mitch, in the I, I was going to say the dark old days, but it's a long time ago, back in the days when Josh and I lived in New Zealand. Vienna, maybe you can go first. Tell us a little bit about who you are, and then Mitch will throw to you. Cool. I'm Vienna. I am a teacher, currently training as a counsellor, doing a master's in that as well. I'm also Mitch's fiance. <laughs> what, what? What, what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I live in Brisbane, mm. if that helps. Well, my name's Mitchell. I am currently serving as a youth pastoral worker out at Kingaroy. I'm also doing a little bit of casual teaching at the local Catholic school, and that's a really interesting experience. Good people, good people, really good people to work with. So I feel blessed in that regard. Um, Community is excellent out here, and the church, it's awesome people. I feel very blessed for my time out here, and yeah. Mm, Awesome. No, fantastic. That's so cool. Look, today you'll have read the title of this episode. We are here to talk about Barbie. Now, fitting with our Adventist heritage, we're a little bit late to the boat. I don't know if the discourse is even going to be thinking about Barbie by the time this airs, but we're here to have the conversation nonetheless. When I went and saw the movie a couple weeks ago, and you guys had already seen it by that point, I think. It did stir up a number of different conversations, not just in my friend group, though that is certainly where this conversation started, but in the general culture. I have to say, probably for most of us, certainly for me, it was unexpected in the way that it stirred up all of this conversation. I kind of went into the movie expecting not that much. I didn't have high hopes for the movie. I just thought it was going to be a slightly cringe, slightly self-referential comedy drama, not quite sure what to make of it type film. But I must say what we got was a lot different to what I expected. I think that's probably the place where I want to start for the two of you when you were going in to see the film for the first time, what was going through your mind and perhaps what were your initial reactions to the movie itself? So a bit of the story with this is we had absolutely bought into the Barbenheimer hype. We were just ready to like double- Barbenheimer and Barbie, for those who do not know. We were just ready to double feature this thing. And that's exactly what we did. We saw Oppenheimer on the Saturday night and we saw Barbie on the Sunday afternoon. 
not strictly double feature because it wasn't back to back, but I thought we'd go in with Oppenheimer as like the, the really dark and serious one. And we'd have Barbie as a palate cleanser. And Barbie was uh, a palate cleanser, but in the best possible way. What about you, Vienna? Yeah, I think for me, I was uh, excited for both of them. And again, very much looking forward to seeing the contrast. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the memes that were going around that were just like, you couldn't really have one movie without the other. So I was initially like just looking forward to the double feature, basically, that we were going to experience experience and yeah uh, I think we ended up thinking a lot more about it than what we were expecting to yeah yeah I, I must say I was surprised that it was Barbie that made me think more philosophically than Oppenheimer I yeah obviously so there were certainly conversations that I and my friends were having after watching Oppenheimer I think there's a weight to that film that kind of dampens certain conversations or perhaps puts a bit of a cloud over those conversations just because of the incredibly heavy subject matter that it, it deals with. But yeah, Barbie came out of left field for me in a really strange way. I was not expecting it to be half as clever as it was. I wasn't expecting it to be as... I suppose, outspoken as it was. Maybe that's a lie. Maybe I did expect it to be outspoken, but I expected to do it in a way that was a lot less interesting and nuanced than perhaps what we ended up with. I'm not super familiar with, I think, is it Greta Gerwig? That's the director oh, yes. of the film. Yeah. I'm not super familiar with her work, but I am. <laughs> I think we've all become familiar with sort of the Hollywood catch cry in the last couple of years of really grappling with feminism and grappling with some of the issues around men and women. And obviously, Hollywood doesn't always hit the mark for everybody. There are entire conservative pundits uh, around whom this is their brand of reacting against whatever Hollywood is saying, that sort of stuff. So I think the place that I'd like to start is for you guys, how did you feel that Barbie tackled from a 40,000 foot view, this issue that we have been seeing preached in Hollywood for so long around the roles of men and women and feminism and all that sort of stuff. I know that's a big question, but. I think it'd be good to start with a rundown of, you mentioned Greta Gerwig, what her cinematography, what her film is like. And I, I think probably my learned fiance can my learned Edson can, oh. so can speak to that a little bit better than I can. Please. Uh, uh, I'm not familiar with all her filmography. I guess the her film that I'm most familiar with is probably Little Women, but there have been lots of film adaptations of Little Women. That's the, the classic novel that I think especially a lot of young girls would have read. But I already got the vibe from Little Women, which I loved as a movie, that she really wanted to paint a story of women, but perhaps, well, yeah, she wanted to give a little bit more meat to it. And it was, so it become so little women does become very much a social commentary for what women were expected to be like during the American civil war era. But I think it almost extends and it becomes quite meta in the end about 
you know, I don't know, I know we're not really here to talk about Little Women, but it becomes very <laughs> meta in the way that they talk about the characters and the novel and the sort of story that they are in and that sort of thing. Mm. So it's like she's taking what is already a very oft-told classical story and she's not trying to just put in a twist for the heck of it. Honestly, for the most part, it stayed very faithful to the book, but she is trying to make a comment on it in a little bit of a nudgy sort of way, like subtle, subtly, but enough to make you sit up and pay attention. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And if okay. you'd seen Little Women, as I had, Fiona has shown me a Little win, Women before we watched Barbie. So I went in understanding this was a Gerwig movie. There was going to be some subversion of expectations here. Now, it's also worth noting that Barbie is a feminist property, like the dolls, the aesthetic around it. it's very feminist women could do anything they want to but Gerwig mm. is not necessarily a feminist we Gerwig is what we would call a post-feminist which says that we have achieved all of the aims of second wave and even third wave feminism women have more or less equal power uh, there's still parts where they can do better always things to work towards the Me Too movement, all of that sort of thing. But by and large, women can do anything they want to. So the question then is, is this good for women? Because as you've noted, we have a little bit of this subversion of what or who Barbie is. Interesting. I should also probably make a note right at the outset. This is going to be a spoiler zone. I think we're, we can't, I don't think we can really talk about this with any great substance without spoiling the film so if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it to be spoiled then go and watch it and then come back bruce willis but was a ghost oh you meant about barbie oh <laughs> mitch every time man why you gotta do this man all right <laughs> um, you brought me on here for the for the humor and you brought the ember on for the, for the substance so <laughs> <laughs> this is what we get this is what we get <laughs> No, I think it's I think it's really key that's what you point out that the almost we're at a point where the aims of feminism have almost by and large been achieved because that's where the movie starts, right? Once upon a time women were shackled. That's amazing homage to 2001 a Space Odyssey <laughs> in the opening, which yeah. I didn't even realize that was going to be part of the movie. I thought that was just a trailer that they were using, but it's really awesome that they actually went full uh, in, into that. And it really paints this picture, this idealized picture that Barbie and the Barbies and the Kens more or less all buy into that women can now be anything that they want to be. And it's all thanks to Barbie. She has been this icon for empowerment and suffrage and, and all these themes that the feminist movement has fought for. It's really quite clever the way that the the film opens, right? Because that's the hopeful message that we get right at the beginning. And even in that message, there's this glimmer of everything is not quite right, even though we're saying that it is. Yeah. Do you guys want to maybe unpack that a little bit? Because that's really where the conflict in the film starts. It took me a moment to realise it because I think, and again, like when we went into the movie, I was cautiously optimistic because I was really excited. I knew that I liked Greta Gerwig's style so far from what I've seen from her. 
and had a stacked cast, looked amazing and that kind of thing. But I was cautiously optimistic that it was going to be a, another cheap girl bossification <laughs> sort of thing. And I am very tired of seeing that in media in general. And we can unpack more about how the movie plays with that sort of thing, whether it fully achieves what it's set out to and that kind of thing. But yeah, so I was going in cautiously optimistic and it wasn't really until the end of the movie that I realised how clever the opening setup is as far as the Barbie entity and how Barbie land is structured. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I see it as being a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. It's great, but then there's also the shadow of is it really though, but you don't really see how incomplete it feels until the end. I think the opening scene is supposed to show that back in the 60s. Actually, can I give a mini history lesson on how Please. Barbie boy got started? Yeah. <laughs> this is my, like, limited understanding, and I'll admit a lot of this is just reading <laughs> like, cool. in the past few weeks since we've seen the movie and that sort of thing. But basically the woman who invented Barbie, her, so her husband was one of the founders of Mattel, the toy company. And, oh, my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Ruth Handler. Ruth Handler? Yes. Ruth is noticing that her daughter is playing with these German or these little paper dolls. Now, back, back in the 60s and earlier, the only sorts of toys for little girls were baby dolls, and the movie makes a point of this, that it was basically baby dolls. So little girls at play could basically only be mothers, and the only other toys that were pretty common for little girls back then were these little paper dolls that were usually babies or toddlers and you could dress them up and that sort of thing. And Ruth was noticing that her daughter would be playing with the paper dolls and such, but she'd often make them act as if they were older than a baby mm. or a toddler. And she started thinking to herself, this is a corner of the market that we can get behind. And she also does some research and finds that in, I think it was Germany, somewhere in Europe, there are these little plastic figurines that a lot of German kids have started playing with and they these dolls were not initially made for children i think they were some sort of like character from a comic strip in europe or something like that but a lot of kids were buying these dolls and dressing them up and playing with them because they wanted that idea of playing with a, a character and making them do whatever they wanted them to build lily so, for those who care that's the name of the that's german the one. doll yeah yeah so, the, yeah, so this German doll becomes the model for what Barbie will become, and so Ruth names Barbie after her daughter, right. Barbara, and that's how it all began. And that's the point that they're making in the opening scene is that before then, Barbie as a toy was filling that gap because back in the 60s, what little girls especially needed to learn was that they didn't just have to be mothers. Mm. That was the gap at the time. And initially, <laughs> I remember in that opening scene, you see these little girls, they start smashing their baby dolls <laughs> yeah. under the shadow of the big Barbie doll. Yeah. And initially I was like, oh, my gosh, did, did the babies really deserve this? <laughs> uh, but then you realise that at the time that was what girls needed and then the question becomes throughout the movie, is that what? Barbie still stands for mm. as an entity. Yeah. And for I think girls and for just for kids today. 
And I think it's interesting too, when you look at the opening segment of the movie, the part that most stood out to me was the fact that you've got Mitch there. Mitch is the pregnant, soon-to-be mother Barbie. She's weird. Pregnant Barbie mm. is weird. It doesn't really fit the core vision of what Barbie t- Yeah, Vienna actually yeah. remembers and- pregnant Barbie. Yeah, I do. I actually remember seeing it when I was about six or seven. It was one of the, it was, I can understand why I got pulled from shelves. It was a little weird (laughs) because it had a pregnant belly and yeah, I think it would have created too many questions. I can understand why parents were a bit concerned. Yes. But in the the movies, Barbie Land, she's seen as another outcast kind of on par with weird Barbie and all those other misfits in the society. Yeah, because it's almost like Midge, is it, it's Midge, is it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. She represents in a way that blending of the the childhood and the adulthood in a very strange way. She's an adult. As I was watching the movie, I was trying to figure out who's the villain. Where's the where's the evil person trying to enact their evil plan? And initially, it's always Will Ferrell, the CEO of Mattel, going to be the evil character who's trying to set things back in order, uh, according to his male masculine thingo. But he, he doesn't even really fulfill that role. He doesn't even fulfill that kind of idea of the almost like the character from the Lego movie that he plays, where, where there's some definite parallels in a way. The villain I, is also- I don't think that yeah. casting was accidental too. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Very. Like, interesting. I, I think that you're when you see Will Ferrell as a boss, you're supposed to remember him from the last movie where he was a CEO in, which also happened to be a movie about a children's toy. That's yeah, that's a good point. So, in a way, though, the other character, the offsider that you're supposed to empathise with, especially if you're a male, is also the villain of the film, which is unexpected. I didn't expect. Okay, you can disagree. That's absolutely fine. I think that's an interesting discussion. But Ken becomes the instigator of change. He is the change maker. He is the one who does a lot of the moves and making the plot move forward. So let's talk about the tension there, right? Between once Ken again, and once again, Ryan Gosling never fails to be literally me. <laughs> <laughs> yes that thanks. man is my spirit animal like i i identified with ryan gosling's ken so hard in that movie and he's the one who supposedly brings bad things to barbie land but that's only because he's positioned as what as the antithesis of what barbie land would have him be and if i may get a little bit personal here you may thank you I saw in Ryan Gosling's Barbie, I think, is Ken, an echo of things that I'd gone through in the past. And this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable for some people to hear, but I'm reasonably certain the people who would be most uncomfortable about it probably not going to be listening anyway. So let's have at it. When I was younger, my parents divorced when I was 10. That's when I was starting to come to terms with relationships and all of that. But the reason why my parents divorced, I was convinced that in order to make a good relationship, which turns into a good marriage, which goes the distance, you have to be loyal to your partner. Like loyalty was 
unquestionable for me. I had to do it. That led me, however, to some really dark places in that I gave my loyalty to people who neither asked for it nor really respected it because they didn't ask for it. Mm. I was giving them what they didn't want. And mm. it was also difficult. I, when, Ken was, when Ken said that he was literally made for Barbie and Barbie yeah. didn't love him, she couldn't give him what he needed, not just wanted, needed. We all go through at some point the question of, did God intend for me to marry a certain person? And for the longest time when I was in college, I had this inkling that God had intended me for this particular person who I had no interest in being in a relationship with. I didn't have much in common with them. I, I, interactions were always awkward. And I asked God quite often to, to take that away because I, and I'd, I'd asked God, I felt like I'd made a deal with God when I was in high school that God would never reveal to me ahead of time the person I would end up marrying. And yet he was me struggling with this thing. And I, I felt the same sort of thing that Ken was. How can I be made for someone who has no interest in me mm. and who can't give me what I need in a relationship? And I'm so grateful that I'm with Viema now, who in, in a sense I see being with Viema as Ken forging his own path, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. This is someone that I chose. That's that's real, man, and that's raw. I think it really speaks to that. I, I don't think this is just something that happens to men, but it's obviously so prevalent in modern men, I think, and I hate to use the term modern men because it feels like that has so many connotations. But that whole idea of feeling trapped and powerless in what should be a world where you have so many options. And that's this cuts to the core of the film's tension is that the world that Barbie and the Barbies live in is an idealized world where women can be whoever they want and they're empowered, but they're only empowered at the expense of the Kens who by contrast don't have any power they only have power or they only have any sense of agency as they relate to their respective Barbies, which is, of course, a dark mirror as they discover a, a flipped image of what the human world has been for so long. And when Ken discovers the human world and discovers that people like me just because I'm me, that's, that's because I'm a man, not because, he's, not because he's him necessarily, but because they respect him because he's a man. Is manhood his soul-defining yeah. niche, though? Is that the only thing that he can use to make him valuable? Exactly. I think it all comes down to horses, personally. The <laughs> yeah, can relate. That was one of my favourite parts of the movie, <laughs> when he just assumes that the patriarchy is about horses and it's disappointing and... That's not actually the case. <laughs> you just picked one thing and it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was. In truth, though, horses are majestic. They are majestic. <laughs> Nobody here is disagreeing with that, not in the slightest. I, I think what it shows about the character of Ken, I think part of why he's probably been the standout character, and that's not to say that Margot Robbie and the others weren't amazing as well, mm. 
But I think part of why Ken's story has been so compelling for so many audiences is that you see him trying on these different hats, basically. He feels uh, useless and without an anchor. He feels like he's underappreciated at the beginning and we see that, we see all the dissatisfaction that he feels in Barbie land. He goes to the real world with Barbie and thinks he finds a path forward of, oh, if people just recognise that men need to be in charge, then maybe I'll find fulfilment. You see him trying all these different things, but none of them actually fulfil him. And furthermore, and, oh, sorry, you go on. Oh, sorry. And I think, again, Ryan Gosling plays it so well. You see when he's trying on all these different hats, he puts on a bit of a show, he's all bluster and that mm. sort of thing. But when he starts saying things that hurt Barbie, as in his Barbie, the one that he actually cares about, you see how it really cuts him down as well. It hurts him to see that what he's doing is actually hurting this person that he cares about because it's not really him. Yeah. He hasn't found who real him is yet. I think the other thing too, when you look at the patriarchy that Ken has created, it's still centred around the Barbies. It's just that the Kens mm. get to decide what the mm. Barbies do. It's just that the Kens now have the Mojo Dojo Casa Dreamhouse, which is absolutely what I'm naming my man cave. <laughs> oh, gosh. Mojo Do Dojo Casa House is the new man cave. <laughs> That's the one. Right? Mojo Do Dojo Casa House, not Dreamhouse, my bad. If you look at it, the, uh, the Barbies are still the centre of the Ken's attentions. They're watching their movies with the Barbie and explaining what they care about to the Barbie that they paired mm. up with. Um, it's actually really interesting because Barbie was never supposed to have Ken as a, a dedicated boyfriend. Interesting. Ken was, first and foremost, whatever the girl playing with him wanted him to be. But Ken was always supposed to be Barbie's going steady. They were never supposed to be in a committed relationship. And I think that's part of the problem in Barbie land that Ken is in that period of, in that place of insecurity. And then they pair bond, which is the antithesis of the Barbies. But it's also the patriarchy might be Ken's deciding, but they're still... Everything they do is for the Barbies. Another point I'll mention too is in the Matchbox 20 song, Push, that is, everyone assumes that the lyrics, I want to push you around, well, I will, where I'll, okay, I'm not going to sing it on stream, but I have my guitar right here. <laughs> He's asking permission without asking permission. I'm not, I will not do that. I will not inflict that on your listeners. Just to clarify, that's the song that the Kens sing to the Barbies when yes. they're in charge. Yes, the serenade. Yeah, yeah. Singing that song to them for four hours while looking intensely into their eyes, the lyrics of, of which go, I want to push you around, well, I will, well, I will. I want to uh, push you down, well, I will, well, I will. I want to take you for granted, well, I will. And mm. well, people hear that song. From the moment that it came out, people thought it was about a man looking to dominate a woman. But... The song was originally about the lead singer of Matchbox 20, Rock Thomas's ex-girlfriend in high school, who was emotionally abusive to him. And if you look in the verses, it actually refers to that. It's mm -hmm. a person saying, I will not change for you. 
I will not do anything that might make your life easier. It's going to be about me. And when it's about me, maybe it'll get better for you. And the and Greta Gerwig is a Matchbox 20 fan. She knows what the song is about. So when the Kens are singing this to the Barbies, it's not an it's not an assertion of this is the patriarchy and you're now our slaves. In my understanding, it's actually truth telling. Wow. Like it- the Kens are singing to the Barbies, this is what you have done to us. And truth-telling is always uncomfortable to the oppressors. Yeah, I did not know that. That's a profound moment. Yeah, because a lot of this this movie is subtext, laid upon subtext. Mm, So much. (laughs) Yeah. And I find it really fascinating. We open the movie with the Barbies in their perfect land. And, And, of course, the thing that we haven't mentioned yet, of course, the catalyst- for changes, not necessarily just Ryan Gosling, but is an external event where there's this metaphysical relationship between the Barbie doll and the human who plays with her, et cetera, et cetera, which is a little bit, I think, whatever, but it's what gets the plot moving initially. And I, I don't know, in a way, I feel like, yes, it's a mechanism for the the plot to, to do stuff, for stuff to happen, but I think somewhat undercuts the existential crisis that maybe we could have experienced with Margot Robbie's Barbie in that here's a perfect world where everything happens the same every day and it's wonderful and it's perfect and it's amazing. But is that what I want? Is this perfectly crafted, curated world what I want? And if we're talking about patriarchy and feminism we're talking about men and women and relating to each other and power and all that sort of stuff i wonder if perhaps the plot would have been better served by the existential doubts creeping into barbie's mind on her own or whether maybe it is her thoughts and it's just so happens that there's this relationship between the real world and the barbies that is inescapable I'm not sure. Um, See, so yeah, I guess maybe it could be both. I, I saw it as both in that initially Barbie starts thinking these existential thoughts because this adult woman who's feeling down on her luck has been fulfilling some of her childhood fantasy through Barbie. And she starts noticing that th- her perfect world isn't so perfect anymore. She starts noticing that she's thinking about death, that she has cellulite, that she has flat feet, all that sort of thing. I think what's interesting too, though, is that even though Barbie land is considered perfect and it looks like the dream life for the Barbies, on a closer viewing, I don't actually think it's supposed to be considered that perfect because you look at what the Barbies do all day and it, on the surface it looks great, everyone's all happy and smiling, but it's so repetitive and the mm. movie makes a very obvious point of showing how repetitive it, it is and how all they do is just say, hi, Barbie, hi, Barbie. <laughs> there's, there's no mm. I- identification between the different Barbies and Kens beyond what they do, like President Barbie, Nurse Barbie, Stereotypical Barbie, our main girl, and it's superficial Mm. it's a superficial 
utopia. And then as soon as things start going wrong for stereotypical Barbie, when the real world starts creeping into her world, you see how the Barbies immediately, they don't turn on her, but they definitely mm. are like, no, this cannot be. You can't have flat feet. Yeah. You can't have She's you a, can't be thinking. She is a time. threat to the perfect order. Yeah. So as much as people may say, oh, yeah, Barbie Land is supposed to be what the world is, I don't think so. I don't think the movie at any point, not even at the end, and I think especially at the end, the movie never says that Barbie Land is the way the world should be. Hmm. I it's think- a dark mirror, a bright pink plastic mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I also think it's interesting too when you consider what is heaven supposed to be. Barbie Land is held up as, as utopia, but it's a world where the Barbies get everything they want. There are clear winners and there are clear losers. But what is heaven? Heaven is a place where we give everything we have. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible for the Barbies to feel true happiness, true fulfilment, it's impossible for the Kins to feel secure about themselves in the Barbie land because it is a land of taking. It's a land of status, of stratification. And much the same in the real world. Ken wasn't able to bring in concepts from the real world to make Barbie land better because it was it, they were concepts that were still around taking the Barbie's mm-hmm. attention, about taking the choices of what to do together, all of that sort of thing. And when you look at the Mm. way that the Barbies try to restore Barbie land, it's about taking advantage of the Ken's affection for the Barbies by making them jealous, by manipulating them. In no way is Barbie land ever a utopian place. It's dystopian. Whereas Mm. looking at it from a Christian perspective, what would the perfect society look like we look at the Chinese riddle. A man goes down to hell and he sees that everyone is sitting around round tables. They've all got 18 foot chopsticks and try as they might. I can't get the food into their plates, into their mouths. It's just too far away. Heaven has the same layout, but this time everyone's getting fed. And why is it? Hmm. Because they're feeding each other. I think part of the reason why. I think this movie has been somewhat contentious and even a lot of my friends have been dissatisfied with especially the ending because the ending of Barbie doesn't improve on Barbie land per se or it does Mm. in very incremental ways. And I think a lot of people looked at that and went, oh, what, is that it? And it initially looks like just one of those cheap girl boss sort of endings that doesn't really offer any answers or anything like that. But... Again, if we take into account that this is supposed to be a satire and Barbie Land was never supposed to be the ideal world, we, we see that the real point of the story is not about creating a utopia. It's about being real and authentic. And that's why stereotypical Barbie decides that she can't stay there anymore. That's mm-hmm. why she decides to become a human. Hmm. Yeah, I think... I think there's part of all of us that would go, oh, how good would it have been to wrap everything up in some profound idea or some 
equilibrium where both the Kens get exactly what they want and the Barbies at the same time and everybody could live happily ever after. But I think if such a, an end state were possible, we probably wouldn't make films about it. We probably would just be living it. And I think the fact that there is no perfect end state is probably very much representative of the fact that we have not arrived there as a humanity ourselves. And I, I, I do find it really fascinating. I've heard both of you reflect on this, the fact that both hellish situations in Barbie land come about with one class or one side trying to claim all of the power and all of the status and I suppose all the, the self-determination for themselves, e even as they are inextricably linked with the other yeah. because you can't tear the two apart. But at the end of the day, it's selfishness, right? It's trying to communicate the needs that I have especially as they are related to the ways that you have let me down in the case of the Kens or whatever, the ideal that the Barbies are striving for, that as long as we push the other person down, whether it be the other gender or another class or whoever you think of when you think of the other, you are never going to be happy in and of yourself. And the society that we build is never going to be the perfect society that so many people are, are striving for. Yeah. Interesting binaries in that whole thing. I know you want to talk about the conservative backlash to, to the Barbie movie. What have you seen in that? What are your thoughts? I think for me, it's mostly a misunderstanding around what masculinity is. I think from the conservative backlash that I've seen, I'm thinking of one person in, very, in particular who I won't mention who went and saw the Barbie movie dressed up as a Ken. Anyway. <laughs> he, was me thinking about the, he was me thinking you were talking about the person who, let's say hypothetically that I'm a Barbie girl and I live for the sake of the argument in a Barbie world. Like in plastic. Oh. The media wants us to think is fantastic. Oh, no. I, I'm not talking about that person at all, Mitch. Anyway, I think it comes down, I think the backlash from what I've seen boils down to a, uh, a fundamental misunderstanding of what masculinity is. And, and I think a lot of this is, so many of these discussions are about structuring of power and values. And there is a, I suppose, a bias toward structuring these conversations in a way that enforces a certain set of values and power as well, reinforcing I suppose, for a lack of a better term, the patriarchy as it exists today or whatever political viewpoint supports the uh, mega corporations, maybe, which is all very, it's all very ethereal because we're talking about a massive, massive IP from a massive company that gave their blessing to use their IP in a film that both mocks and examines said IP, not just as it relates to individuals, but also corp like massive, the massive corporation itself of, of Mattel. So I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what you guys have seen in terms of the backlash, but to, to, to be perfectly honest, a lot of it does seem to me like pointless to engage with because it's just there for easy clicks and not really there to have any substantive conversations around. But yeah, if, if you guys have seen anything that 
is of of note. Let's talk about it for sure. Yeah, I, I guess I already glossed on the fact that some of the dissatisfaction I was seeing, and I, I don't know if this is necessarily it, only conservatives are having this, but just in general dissatisfaction was with how it ended for the Kens in that they don't tie it up with any little bow yeah. for Barbie land. That was probably the main thing, yeah. I think in this case the film never set out to give you too many answers, but it did set out to pose some questions mm. and then it's a matter of what we do with those questions. I think that's the core of it. You're supposed to go out of this movie feeling like the, the Kens have been treated unjustly, whether it's because you interpret this movie as being a what if the races, what if the genders were switched, mm. or if you interpret it as a sneaky parody of you know, of third wave feminism, which some do, and there's a there's a reading to be made for that. I think we're supposed to feel a sense of injustice about the fact that no one's really learned their lesson except for Barbie realising that she doesn't want to be part of, she doesn't want to be part of something where she never has to, never has to face any real conflict. She wants to engage with the difficult things in life and I think that's what we should be called to do. I think that's what that movie is calling us to do, to engage with difficult questions that leave us unsettled. Mm. And engage with the real world. Like I it, I think one of the taglines for the movie was something along the lines of whether you love Barbie or hate Barbie, you'll love this movie right. or something like that. And I, how I saw the ending, there's a few really beautiful scenes and also leading up to the ending that really show how the core meaning for Barbie and to an extent Ken as well is about them letting go of their expectations on themselves, on others around them, and just focus on being rather than what they do. Mm. You know? So actually there's this really beautiful scene fairly early on when Barbie first goes into the real world. I wish that they fleshed it out a little bit more, but I could see through like the film language what they were trying to show is they have Barbie sitting on a bench and she's had a pretty horrible time of it where she's been ogled and misunderstood and mocked by all the ordinary people who largely see, see Barbie as everything wrong with society. And she's missing her life in Barbie land and she's sitting on this bench and then she actually, the, the movie takes a moment to breathe. I think that's always an important thing. Mm -hmm. and if a film takes the time to breathe, what is it saying in that moment there? And she starts just looking around. She's people watching. And she's not just watching women. She's watching men. She's watching kids. She's watching them just go about their lives. She's seeing happiness in, around her, sadness, all that sort of thing, just life happening around her. And then she looks and sees that there's an old woman sitting next to her on a park bench, an old woman who probably would never be allowed in Barbie land mm. because no one's going to have to be old mm. in Barbie land. And she kind of just looks over and, and then it's almost like she says it without realising that she has come to this conclusion. She says to, the, she says to this old lady, you're beautiful. Mm. And the old lady's, I know it. <laughs> Something like <laughs> really sassy. <laughs> and it's this really beautiful little moment where she starts realising that this is what she's been missing mm. her whole life is just being able to live and mm. it's not about being perfect. It's not about... It's not about the expectations 
it's uh, just about the experience of being human. Mm. And even though it leaves the ending open-ended for Ken as well, I see it as a part of his journey on finding his own path. Maybe he may eventually decide to choose the real world as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think they leave thing open-ended. From a Christian perspective, it shows that when we choose an authentic life in Christ, we take that step out of artificiality, hmm. out of trying to strive Amen. for perfection and just focus on wholeness in God yeah, and in relationship to other people as well, but not being defined by other people. And I think in a way that is, it's a beautiful interpretate, like the Christian interpretation is quite beautiful with the ending because it leaves the viewer with a question mark of who's Ken going to be now? Who's Barbie going to be? We know that they can't be who they were, but who are they? And obviously, if you look for it, there's a lot of religious sort of references in this film, particularly right at the very end. There's that very classic image where she meets Ruth Handler again in a in a light-filled room where there's nothing else, which is obviously a callback to all the movies where somebody meets God. <laughs> or Come to Jesus moment. Like, actually, and <laughs> bright lights. And I never thought that a Billie Eilish song would bring me that close to tears, but here we are. <laughs> and then we're left with that question of who am I going to be? And it's almost like it's a new creation moment. They have become a new creation. Mm -hmm. And the only question that's left is, what is this new creation going to look like? And then that, that that very exciting scene at the end, I'm here to see my gynecologist. <laughs> and then, boom, the mo movie's over and you just left with, what? <laughs> okay. I will admit it's somewhat undercut the ending, but I yeah. don't necessarily think it was a bad thing. It was yeah. very on brand for, I think, the movie's humour style for sure. I think so. And another, another thing, thing to, to bring, bring up, up too, you look at what does it mean to love? Hmm. Ken feels compelled to love Barbie. He feels like that's his purpose. And Barbie feels obligated to spend time with Ken. After they've gone through all, all that character development over the course of the movie, movie, at the last part of the movie, when they're discussing where to from here, they both realise that they can't be with each other. That is yeah. the moment where you see actual genuine love and care between them. Mm. I think that says something really special, really significant for us as Christians and Seventh-day Adventists about the nature of love. Love cannot be coerced. It cannot be obligated. Yeah. It cannot be expected. You truly see them love when they let go, yeah, wow. when they don't have that those hooks on each other. And it's the only really genuine moment of love that they share with each other the entire movie that's like this tension has been building and you expect the tension to culminate in that final big confrontation that they have but it's not really until the end that finally we see the tension released and they come to terms with these are the people this is the person that i am and i'm i'm okay with that e even though i've been fighting that this entire time um yeah we are basically out of time, but I'm just going to throw it to either of you. If you have any final thoughts, anything that we haven't gone over that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up. 
I, after this, this discussion, I've come to the realisation I really need to watch the movie again. It's just an excellent movie. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and he never repeat watches. I don't. This I, is terrible. The only movie I repeat watch is Lord of the Rings. As, as it should be. As it should be. But, uh, yeah, I think this is one of those rare movies where I actually will repeat watch it. And to any Christian, to any conservative Christians who might be listening to this, don't buy into the culture wars. This movie is so much bigger than what the conservative pundits are trying to paint it to be. And it's the deeper message is there's a lot to there's a lot to be seen there. And there's a lot of statements on the nature of the human condition that I think a lot of these worldly, materialistic, obsessed with politics pundits have missed out on because they're not capable of going that deep. They are constrained by their circumstances. So I encourage progress. I, I encourage any conservatives who might be listening to this to look below the surface on this movie and find that it's not nearly as critical of conservatism, of traditional roles as people might make it out mm. to be. I always say it's it's more fun to find what you like about films and art and media than to just criticise things. You have a lot more fun and you might actually learn something Mm. So, yeah, I I think Barbie has really given us a lot to think about and I think we'll be continuing to talk about it and discuss it for a long time after the Barbenheimer <laughs> craze has gone over. <laughs> has blown over. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a movie for it's not just a film for women, it's not just a film for men, it's a film for people mm. because that's the core of it. Mm. Yeah. It's a film for humanity. <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Hey, thank you so much, you guys, for uh, coming on, having the conversation. This has been uh, really interesting. You have helped transform Burn the Haystack into a temporary film critic space. It's uh, it lending us to be temporary. Yeah, well, I'll talk to my people and my people will talk to your people. We'll see what we can make happen. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for, for listening. If you have any more thoughts, of course, you can send them in to us. Jump on our Facebook group or our Facebook page. If you've seen the movie and you want to discuss more, then that's a, a great place to do it. Next episode, Josh, we'll be back in the other seat. So we're looking forward to that. But until then, thank you so much for listening. That is Mitch, Viema, and Jesse. Ouch.